Uh, good morning, dear family. Uh, so last week, again, we started a new teaching series on the local church, uh, which we're going to be running through for the next couple months. And as Matthew mentioned last week, our, what we're going for in this series is, is just to communicate as, as adequately as we can, sort of painting a picture of what the scripture teaches with regard to what the church is. Uh, in, a, in a big sense, the, ultimately, what is the church? And Matt talked about that last week, the gathered people of God from every tongue, tribe, language, and nation. Um, but also then how that affects us as a local church, how that affects us as a, an individual congregation, right? There's, there's churches all over this, this, even this city, even this neighborhood, there's churches all over the place. How do we put into practice, how do we live out our new identity as Christians, not just as individuals, but more than that, as a community, as a people who've been purchased, who've been gathered by Christ, bought by his blood, and then made to be a different people, to live before him, to display his glory. So we're going to be talking about church leadership, leadership structures. What does it mean to have leaders? That, and what is their responsibility? What is the leader's responsibility to the congregation? And what is the congregation's responsibility toward leadership? What is, uh, what, what is communion and baptism? What is the, our understanding of communion and baptism? Membership. Why membership? Is it just a formality? And if not, uh, why? Why would we take it so seriously? So we're going to talk about all these things as we're, as we're going through the next couple months. And the, the reason behind it is, you know, we got, we got Lentz Baptist Church and the Gathering Church becoming one congregation. And I think it's important for us to understand that before the merger of these two separate entities, we were actually already one church. Right? So the, it's, it's kind of this amazing thing. In one way, we're just sort of recognizing and confessing what's already been there. But when we come together, the, the question comes, well, what, what is the foundation of our unity? What's going to be the thing that we're about as a local church? And that's why we want to do this teaching series. We want to say these are the things, these are the, this is us building a foundation for our understanding of what it looks like, not just to be the church, but particularly to be this local community. How do we care for one another? How do we grow in the grace that is ours in Christ? And so, again, that's why we're going through this series for the next couple months. Uh, today, we're going to be in the book of Colossians. If you all want to turn there, we're going to spend our entire time there in Colossians chapter 3 where Paul addresses the community life of the church, and we're just going to be trying to, ask, uh, trying to answer one question. What is church community? What is church community? Matt talked last week about what the church is, and we're going to try to get into the more than nuts and bolts of what does it look like to be the community that was purchased by the blood of Christ. All right, so again, Colossians 3, I'm starting in verse 12. I'm going to read through verse 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Uh, please pray with me. 
Father, we thank you for the glory of God, for your great glory, the, the beauty that you have put on display all over. And it is a sobering and humbling and hard to believe thing that the primary mechanism and vehicle for delivering and showing forth your glory in this age is the church. It's humbling, God. And we just want to, we want to embody this. We want to understand this. We want to embrace what it means to be a display of the beauty of Jesus Christ. So God, do that right now. Lord, keep, uh, keep our hearts open to heeding your counsel, to heeding your word. Guard us from the evil one. Guard our, our minds from deception and, and all things of that nature. And draw us near by your spirit and your word. We pray these things through Christ our King. Amen. Amen. So a shorthand answer to the question, what is church community, is it's a people who've been gathered to celebrate and display the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ. That was our mission statement when we first started this church. Our, our, our statement was just, we are here to celebrate and display the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ. And that's what a church is. That's most essentially what the church is. Think about all the elements. It, it's, a, it's a church, it's, it's a group of people who've been gathered Passive, in the passive, we've been gathered. God was the one took the, taking the initiative to draw people. God was the one taking the initiative to draw those who would not come to him. He was the one who came to make a way where there was no way that we might be a people to celebrate his grace. And we celebrate, right? We sing, we rejoice, and we display in how we celebrate, in how we live our lives together. But the question becomes, well, what is meant by glory and beauty? And how is it that local churches, us as, as human beings, just normal people, actually go about doing this? What does it look like to celebrate and display the beauty and glory of Christ? And I think this is where Paul gives some direction in the verses that we're going to be going through. A quick word about celebrating and displaying. They're, they're obviously distinct things, right? Celebrating something is distinct from displaying something. But what's incredible, particularly about the text that we read today, is that it intermingles celebration and display. It intermingles the practices of the church and the pra- uh, in, in celebration, song and praise and hearing the word taught, and then the relational dynamics. What, what does it look like for the church to display forgiveness? We display, we celebrate forgiveness in part by displaying it. We celebrate God's lordship in part by submitting ourselves to his word and saying that his word is the final say. He's the one who gets the call at the end of the day. He's the ultimate arbiter of what we do and how we practice life as a church. This is, there's this, this circularity, right? This kind of a dance that occurs between celebration and display, celebration and display. No Christ follower ever really displays the beauty of Christ without celebrating it. Nor does one ever genuinely celebrate it without first displaying it, right? The, the, the beauty and glory of Christ is meant to be given expression, and as crazy as it is, that expression, the primary expression, the primary means by which that is given expression in this age is through the church, through you and me, through this body, and through everybody that confesses Jesus Christ as Lord in this city and around the world. So, just three points from the text that we read today. Point one, repentance and forgiveness. Point two, the richly abiding word. And point three, Christ's preeminence in all of life.
So the first point, celebrating and displaying Christ in relationships. Repentance and forgiveness. Paul gets really personal really quickly. Uh, chapter three sort of begins, if you look in, in verse one, he begins to talk about things and he, he says, if then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So you've died and you have been raised. Paul's implying here the new identity of the church, the new identity of the people of God. And he says, if this has happened to you, there's going to be a change in the way then that you behave. And the first thing that he goes, when you continue down the verse, he says the first thing you're going to end up doing is you're going to be putting off things, putting off old practices, putting off old ways of living, lying to each other, being deceptive, reviling one another, being jealous and covetous of one another. Paul says put those things away, which in the Bible, at the most basic level, is what we call repentance. It's turning around from something changing your mind and your habits and conforming them to new ones. That's all repentance is. Right? I think that it usually conjures up images of, of weeping and, and conferences or, you know, falling down. And sometimes, yeah, I've, I think all of us, you know, to one degree or other have experienced that. This moment where we've been touched and we've, we've repented. But there's a turning around. That's the most essential part of understanding repentance. It's a turning around, a giving of our allegiances to something different, to a different way of life. But then the question becomes, well, what does the Christian turn towards? And Paul starts to give this list here, the list that we read today. The interesting thing is it's not a, immediately a set of practices. Right? He says, put on hearts of compassion. Put on kindness. Put on meekness and patience. And so he's dealing with things in the heart. He's saying it's going to be more than just a change in your actions. It's going to be an actual change of what's actually going on here. Your wanter, the things that you actually want to, the things that orient your life. Because he knows that the heart is what actually orients your life. That your desires and your loves are what are ultimately, and your fears and everything else are what are really going to drive you at the end of the day. So put on these things, but... If this is all that Paul gave us, I think the task at hand would be probably really simple. Uh, in, you know, it, in one sense, it's like, I have to change my heart. That's impossible. But in another sense, it's simple to say, I'm a patient person or I'm a meek person. And usually when we think about meekness or patience or we're talking about ourselves, we think, well, I don't do this, right? I don't cut people off. I don't uh, yell at people. I don't... Uh, uh, I don't know, I don't go and whatever, spray paint people's you know, yards. or do, I don't do mean things. I don't do cruel things to people. I'm a good person. I'm not mean. I'm not bitter. I'm not cruel. But Paul does something really incredible here. He says, put on these new things. But then he gives us these, these two things that are means, a means of putting on these things. And those two things are bearing with one another and forgiving one another. That's a staggering statement. It, it's, it's probably one of the hardest ones for us to actually put into practice. That according to this text, that the, the building up of the new life, the, re, the new relational life, the new relational dynamic of the people of God is going to come into place by putting up with people that you don't want to put up with and by forgiving people that wrong you. 
And the implication is really obvious. You're going to live your life with people who wrong you. You're going to live your entire Christian life in various contexts. Some of the most intimate contexts, your home or your job or your community, your neighborhood. And Paul says it's the, the, to follow Christ doesn't mean that you get a, a, a get-out-free card from all form of suffering, from all form of wrongdoing and persecution or anything else like that. He says, no, it's the contrary. It's going to happen to you, and it's going to keep happening to you. But when it happens to you, you are to put on the new way of life, and you're going to do that by forgiving those that wrong you. And you're going to do that by bearing with people, by putting up with things that you and your nature don't want to put up with. As this text says, the forgiveness isn't a, it's not a simple nicety. It's, it's, it's part of what's going to become the very culture of the church, the very, the very thing that distinguishes the church. Now, what does this mean for us then, the local church? And I think as a blanket statement, you could just say that where forbearance and forgiveness is lacking, you should expect all of the other attributes to be doing the same. Where there's no forgiveness, where there's no forbearance, there will not be compassionate hearts. There will not be kindness. There will not be meekness nor patience. That these things aren't just, they're not just given expression through forgiveness and forbearance. It's how you do it. It's how you put on these things. It's how you become the new person. It's God has given a means for us to actually be new people. But it's through the most difficult and awesome and challenging means that we could possibly conjure up. It's crazy and it's incredibly difficult. According to what Paul is saying here, we we ought not to be surprised by the lack of genuine, firm, and lasting fruit in the lives of people who are holding fast to grievances and to an embittered heart. And again, we just said, what does that mean for us as a church? Well, what does it mean for us? It means for us our relationships at home. Every single context of our lives, it's a space. It becomes a space to display the grace of Christ. In your home, children, older children I'm talking about primarily, is there a sense in which you bear grievance against your parents because they didn't do what you think they ought to have done? Is there a sense where you look at your father, where you look at your mother, and you just, when you think about them, it's, it's poison. And so every time you think about them, it's, it's just, it's death. And it, it just, it's just blackness. And you, think, and you can't help but think of your dad. You can't help but think of your mom without just bitterness and, and anger and frustration. Husbands and wives. Husbands, is there, are, did your wife say something? It could have been today. Did your wife say something to you today that just you feel like undermined who you are as the husband in the home? And so you bear a grudge against her. Wives, is there a sense in which your husband isn't being the man that he ought to be and because of that, you feel justified to not forgive him, to not open your heart to him, because it hurts. Brothers and sisters, I would say, heed the word of God. Please just, just, just hear this. This isn't, this isn't me talking. This is the word of God. That you're, you're, you're binding, you're, 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 which you're, not just, you're not just keeping yourself trapped, and you're not just keeping the other person trapped 
in this, in this sense of inability to grow and inability to be intimate and to talk or, or to be friends. You, you're, you're binding yourself, you're preventing yourself from becoming more like Christ. These attributes come to you in forgiveness. These attributes come to you in repentance. These things are given to you in the act of forgiving. In the act, they're given to you. Meekness, kindness, gentleness. They come to you in the forgiveness. God has given us a means to do this, and where we don't do it, God help us. God help us. Just as a side note, before we continue on here, I, if any of you wrestle with this, I mean, we all wrestle with it. I mean, <laughs> some of us have wrestled with this for, for today, this since this morning. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated at my spouse. I'm frustrated at my kids. I'm frustrated at my parents or my neighbor. And some of us have actually been frust, uh, frustrated for years and we're just kind of cold and hard and don't want to do it anymore and we could really care less. And that's... That's a sad reality. That's a hard reality. But if that's where you're at and you want to talk about it, talk to one of the pastors. Talk to, talk to your neighbor. Talk to a good friend about it. Bring it to them. Bring it out in the open. Bring your bitterness. Bring your unforgiveness out into the open. Bring your lack of repentance, ways in which you feel like if you're a husband and you haven't done a good job leading your family, bring it out in the open. Bring it to your brothers who you're accountable to. Bring it to your community group. Bring it to somebody who's a good friend and say, I haven't done this. Can I turn around? Is it too late? And by the grace of God, as long as you got breath, it's never too late. It's hard, it's painful, but it's never too late. So do it. Open yourself up in this way. This is the community that God is seeking. So there's the relational dynamic, uh, kind of a small-scale interest. Now, Paul, in this next section, starts to talk more about uh, uh, sort of the, 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 more, the corporate gatherings, the, the bigger life of the local church, uh, the richly abiding word, point two, the richly abiding word, displaying and celebrating Christ's lordship and teaching. Uh, what aligns the life of the church? What informs the decisions that are made as a people? There's three imperatives that are given here. Uh, the first one is to, to let the peace of Christ rule into your heart, in your hearts, be thankful, and then let the word of Christ rule in you richly. And we're gonna focus primarily on let the, uh, the word of Christ rule in you richly. Uh, the, the first command is just let the word of Christ rule, let the, sorry, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And all the word rule is there is it's, it's a, let it be the final arbiter in your decisions, at the end of the day, you don't want to do this. You think it's more fair to do this, but it has to be the peace of Christ that is the determining factor, the arbiter for your decisions, the, the one who comes in and decides this is what you ought to do. Because, and, and I think he's tying back to the, the community life peace. Live at peace. Be at peace with one another. Let the unifying peace of Christ be the final say in how you relate to the body. And the second command, or sorry, the third command, uh, the, the word of God, let the word of Christ um, abide in you richly. I think it demonstrates this other essential influence in the life of the church. Um, I think when he says word of Christ here, it's, it's referring to everything. The word that refers to Christ. It's only used here. It's the only passage that word of Christ is used in this way. And I think it just means the whole Old Testament, the whole New Testament, particularly, particularly with the focus that it's all about Jesus. 
The whole thing. How much the Old Testament's about Jesus? The whole thing. How much the New Testament's about Jesus? These letters that are going around all the churches? The whole thing. It's all about Jesus. Every last bit of it. Uh, the verb there, the adverb, um, plusios, it, it, most translations render it richly. It just means abundance, muchness. Have, let the word of Christ be in you to such a degree, in such a way, that it's just, it's just, you're just brimming with it. Just all your, your actions, the, the overflow of your actions, the overflow of your words, the overflow of when, you, when you're cooking, when you're cleaning, when you're talking with people, it's just the thing that comes up is the word of Christ. It's the thing that just explodes and seeps out of your pores. It's the overarching commander of your life. It's, just, it's, it's a beautiful picture. But the question comes up here as well. What does this actually look like? What does it look like on the ground for the word of Christ to actually dwell in us richly. And again, here Paul gives contours. I think he gives these, the, 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 what does this look like? The, 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 way that, the way that this is given expression is just given three things. Teaching, admonishing, and singing. The word of Christ is to dwell in you richly by teaching, admonishing, and singing. So teaching and admonishing first. Uh, teaching and admonishment, it's just basically two sides of the same coin. What the Bible says when it talks about teaching. Uh, we, we referred to it earlier, uh, the instruction and admonition of the Lord, right? So that's in the Old Testament, instruction and admonition. We go to the New Testament, teaching and admonition. It's, it's, it's throughout the entire scripture. Teaching is sort of the, the, the positive aspect, how to live fruitfully and hopefully in God's world under God's reign. That's what it means to teach. That's what it means to teach one another. And then there's admonition, exhortations, to heed the word of God, to aspire to holy living when you're not living in a way that is holy and pleasing the Lord, and then warning against the consequences of not doing that. That's all it is. That's all admonishment is. You're not pleading with people on your own behalf or because of your own preferences. You're appealing to people because they're not living in accordance with God's ways, and you know how that's going to go for them in the end and in between, and the amount of damage that's going to create in the long run. Now, what's interesting about these two words, teaching and admonishment, is it's not the first time that they've been mentioned in the letter. Uh, you, don't, you don't have to go there, but in chapter 1, verse 28, Paul mentions, uh, he talks about his God-given task as a leader and as a teacher. And he says, I've been given a task, as have all teachers and leaders in the church. He says, we proclaim him, that is Jesus, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, that we may present every man mature or complete in Christ. So he says, my goal, what I'm here for as a leader is to teach and admonish you, to teach you how to be in God's world and to exhort you when you're not acting as you ought to be in God's world. And what's remarkable here is then Paul jumps forward, not even, I mean, I mean, it's a letter, probably whatever, you know, three paragraphs later, and he's so confident in what God is going to do in the church, that he looks to them and he says, my responsibility toward you is also your responsibility toward each other. You are to be teaching one another. You are to be admonishing one another. And that is how the word of Christ, that is one way that the word of Christ is going to dwell in you richly. When you're teaching and admonishing one another, the word of Christ will take deeper root in your heart as you talk about the Bible over the dinner table, as you discuss things in your triads, as you get together and you think about, and you ask questions. You ask questions. Brother, what should I do here? What would, the, what would God have me do in this situation? 
Sister, what ought I to do? I'm struggling with this. I just don't understand. I want to honor God. What do I do? And you open your Bibles together and you sit and you wrestle with the text and you expect that God has something to say in that moment to you through this brother or this sister. It's a wonderful, it's an absolutely incredible thing. Now there's that third one, singing, singing. When Christians gather to, to worship in song, you know, we, there's, we consider the teaching aspect and that we consider the words in the songs. We, we want to pick songs and sing songs and rejoice in songs that, that proclaim Christ as he is, that make the gospel clear, that really are celebratory, that actually facilitate the celebration and the worship of the people of God. That's, that's definitely there. We think about that. But I don't think we consider as much, I think it's lamentable, we don't consider as much how the act of singing itself is a means of teaching and instruction and a way in which the word of God gets to abide more deeply in you. How does that work? Well, I think, I'll, I'll just, this, is a, this is a personal testimony, I'm, I'm gonna, uh, personal testimony of the ways in which watch, watching others in worship actually spurs us on. Um, so I, I, probably, I probably sing with my eyes open half the time and closed half the time uh, during the worship sets. Um, I sit with my wife in the back and, uh, you know, we've got a litter of children and, they're, and, and you're trying to herd them all together and, and make sure they're not, you, you want them to worship the whole time and, you know, you want them to be this like, oh, look at Zrus, like his kids are just always so orderly and, and it never happens like that. And so, I, you know, you want it though. Um, and, but you sit there and you've got so much in your mind and, um, so I've got my, my eyes open trying to herd children and, and most of the time I'll stop and I'll turn and I'll look at Amber and Amber's sitting either this side of that and, um, bless you, Kathy. And, um, and she's usually got a, a baby here forming that, that God's building in her tummy and then she's usually got a kid here in her arm too and, um, and she's got her hand raised and she's got her eyes shut and and I and it and just touches me every time. And then we go home, and um, and uh, when we go home, you know, I, how, how was service for you? But it was it was delight. Worship was so sweet, and that's actually the one consistent thing that she always says. Worship was so sweet. Worship was so sweet. Worship was so sweet. That, that occasion to get together with the people of God and just sing songs and just be there rejoicing. So I'm, 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 I see that and I'm challenged by that. And then I look around at other people. I don't just look at my wife. I'm not just looking at my kids. I look around at others. And I look and I, and I see Justin Best and I see Aaron Smith and, and, I, and I see Adrian Cassette. I see Deborah Cassette and I see Donna Taylor and they're raising their hands and they're, and they're singing and they're worshiping and they're just, they're just in it. And I see Nat Best, God bless Nat, Be- Nat Best. She's, she's this little 12-year-old girl. She's just raising her hands. She's just praising God. And, and I just look at the new generation coming up and they're going to worship Christ. They're singing the same songs that we're singing now. And, and it, it challenges me with, with what we just read in verse, verse two. Set your minds on things above. It's like Christ himself is reaching down and saying, set your mind on things above, Matt. Look up, look up, look up. Look what I'm doing here. And it's this beautiful, it's this joyful thing. And then I look and I see guys sitting. And it's not that I see guys sitting because they're lethargic or not wanting to be engaged, I look and I see that Merv Best is sitting. And Merv Best isn't able to stand all the time. But because he physically can't do it. Because he's got things going on in his body. 
that are hurting him, that are breaking him, that are, that are, that are slowly, bit by bit, tearing away at him. And I know his heart. And if I was like, if I could see his heart right now, I'd see his heart soaring. I would see his heart raising, his, his hands being raised. And he, he can't, though. He can't stand up. Um, or I look at someone else and I, and I see that they're sitting and, and I note that it's not physical brokenness that's keeping them down, but it's emotional brokenness. I note that the brokenness of life, that the, the fallenness of this world just went through a divorce, just miscarried. My kid's walking away from Jesus. My spouse is walking away from Jesus. They walked away from Jesus. We just lost our house, just lost my job. And they're sitting and they're praying. And, 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 it, and what that challenges me to do, it challenges me then to just say, just consider the body, brother. Pray for them. Sing songs. And off they'll, they'll sit there and they'll have their heads down and they're still singing. They're still singing. And, I, and, I, and what, what's, what's so remarkable is that as they're sitting there singing, you know, they're singing, you know, hallelujah, all I have is Christ, hallelujah, Jesus is my life. And it's all these different contexts of life in brokenness. All I have is Christ in fullness and abundance. All I have is Christ in the, in the physical reality of my body breaking down. All I have is Christ. When you're 12 years old and you're being raised up in the instruction and admonition of the Lord, all I have is Christ. And it, it exhorts me, it challenges, and it comforts me and it causes my soul to sometimes to soar and sometimes be broken down and to have to say god help us in this broken world but we're not quite there yet i think it's really really hard for a lot of us brothers and sisters singing in this way is a means of making the word of christ dwell in us richly make just think about that the word of god is going to dwell more richly in your elders as they watch you sing and praise Think about that. You're leaders in this church. Others who have been walking with Christ for much longer than I have, but longer than I've been alive. Them watching you sing, putting your hands up, sitting down, whatever it is, you being here to sing these songs together is gonna make the word of Christ abide more richly in my heart and in their hearts. That's a gift, brothers and sisters, and it's a gift that you alone can actually bring here. You reap the benefit of not just you being here, but you reap the benefit of Christ looking down and saying, that's your ministry. That's your, the ministry of presence, the ministry of singing songs together and glorying in Christ together. It's an incredible thing. It's an absolutely astonishing thing. Side note here, uh, on the same note, um, so this, this passage in Colossians has kind of a parallel passage, and it's in uh, Ephesians 5. I'm not going to go there, but Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. And in that passage, it says the same thing, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. But with, it basically, it's almost verbatim, with thankfulness in your heart to God, in all things, giving thanks to Jesus Christ, our Lord. The remarkable thing is, it doesn't say, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It says, be filled by the Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So think about it for a moment. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's the exact same means. Getting together and singing songs, corporate gatherings for worship. It's the Spirit's means to shape and to mold and to chisel you is to have the word of Christ abiding in you richly. Brothers and sisters, I, 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 I know I've had conversations with some of you where it's just like, I didn't get in the word this week. I don't, I'm not gonna show up on Sunday. Uh, I, I'm not gonna be, I haven't really been in the word lately. Brothers, Sisters, that is this Holy Spirit's means. If you, if you sense in you this, this dryness, 
Don't stop reading your Bible because of that, because that's the means that the Spirit's going to use to grow you. It's the, it's the tool that the Spirit's going to use, the different tools that the Spirit is going to use to grow you and shape you into the image of Jesus Christ. Don't not show up on Sunday. Don't not show up to your triads. Don't not show up to your relationships and your commitments throughout the week because you're not feeling it, because you're feeling dry. You need the body of Christ, and they need you. And we need each other in, in, in the deepest and most unfathomable way because we need Christ. And he's chosen to move through a body and not through a pope, not through a particular leader, not through a particular individual or a book. He's chosen to do it by his spirit, through the body, by the word of God. And that is how he set things up in the church. It's how we grow. It's how our hearts get refreshed. Mm. And then finally, um, third point, Christ's preeminence in all of life. So we, we, we started sort of this with this, the, the smaller context, right? Just personal relationships, the community life, the corporate gatherings of the church. And then now I think it goes broader. What happens throughout the week, right? In, in the mundane day-to-day stuff and the Christian life, uh, preeminence, big word, right? It's, it's a, all it means is holding first place or the chief place, being the first. And uh, I think Paul I think here when he says, do all things, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I think he's kind of hearkening us back to that beautiful hymn that that he wrote in the beginning or that he was quoting in chapter one of Colossians where he's talking about Jesus Christ and he says, he is the firstborn of the dead, he's the creator of all things in him, all things were created with the thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, everything exists for him and by him. And I think Paul's harking us back to consider that. He's drawing us back here and he says, listen, everything, if it exists, if something exists at all, it exists for Jesus' sake. If something exists at all, it is there because it's meant to display Jesus' beauty and glory. And that's it. Are you in this room right now? You were made to display Jesus Christ's beauty and glory. Are you sitting in something? Are you do have a task that your hand is supposed to get on? Do you have a job? Are you going to go from here to a job? Did you come from a job? Are you going to do work tomorrow? That exists for Jesus Christ's glory. Are you going through something at home? Are you, do you have a family that you come home to and a home that you come home to? A rental? Do you have a car that you drive? Dishes that you have to clean? That exists to bring Jesus Christ's glory. In all things, he is to be the first. In all things, as you consider your life, he's to be the one the first con- that you're, that's supposed to pop into mind. I'm doing dishes. Jesus ought to be on my mind. I, I'm, I'm going to go to work. Jesus ought to be on my mind. I'm here coming to meet with the people of God. Jesus ought to be on my mind. There's an exhaustiveness to the extent of Christ's reign and rule. And therefore, I don't think there's, whatever task any Christian can be given to, it, it can't be done haphazardly. It shouldn't be done haphazardly or stoically, just kind of like, I just got to go about my, 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 di- my daily task. And No, we consider Jesus Christ. And we consider that wherever I am, it's here for Jesus' sake, so he's put me here. There ought to be, there's a sense of excitement. It's, almost, it's, it's like an invigoration, right? It, it invigorates the way that we see our jobs. It invigorates the way that we see the mundane things of our life, the day-to-day activities that we go through. Now, what does it look like on the ground? Well, again, I think there's just, I think just mainly the, the biggest thing I think is just that it's your ministry, brothers and sisters. Wherever you are, whatever thing you're given, you're a minister of the gospel. If you're at home with kids all day, you're a minister of the gospel in that home, 
called to steward those little lives and everything that you're doing with those little lives well. If you got a job that you're going to, you are to be the fragrance of Christ in that job, in that place. You're to be distinct, giving thanks to God through Jesus Christ. Uh, when, Dan, when I used to work with, with Dan Garfield, we would, he'd start every day before we were, were getting onto carpentry stuff, he'd say, we're going to pray. And so we'd pray, and it wasn't just like, don't chop off Matt's rest fingers because he's spacey and careless, but um, that happened, but uh, it didn't happen, but um, it, we prayed it. <laughs> um, and, and I think I probably have my digits because he prayed it. Um, <laughs> um, but it was, it was God, let it, let, give us focus God, this shop exists because you made it exist. This place is here and this job is here and the ability to make money is here because you made it, because you made it so. God, Matt's Rust is here so he can provide for his family because you gave him a family. God, thank you for our families. God, thank you for our church. God, let our speech not be reviling and gossipy or, or, or crass or stupid. Let our, let our speech be such that it brings honor to Jesus. Let our speech be such that it actually gives and displays thanksgiving to God in all that we do. With Chris Taylor, the way that he handles his business, I've, as I've watched Chris do things, he, he focuses on the, the, the people that work for him, not just the bottom line of what they're making, but the people, shepherd the people. You're a shepherd of these, most of whom are unbelievers, these people who work for him. And it's a grace. Stephen Taylor, same thing. Lamont Brothers, how do you do things to the glory of God? Well, you make beautiful things out of wreckages of homes <laughs> that look absolutely awful. And you come in and you put up tile and you frame up walls and you, you do all this incredible stuff and you do it every day giving thanks to God through Jesus Christ. You start your week with prayer, you end your week your prayer, and you just always consider God it's in your hands. Thank you for it while I got it. Thank you for it while I got it. Amen. And we're supposed to exhort ourselves toward, or not ourselves, yes, ourselves, but we're supposed to be exhorting each other in those things. That's the corporate life of the church outside of the four walls, outside of the corporate gatherings of the church. Brothers and sisters, we are to be a display of God's glory so that the watching world, again, think of uh, salt of the earth, Right? Matthew 5, 16. You were the salt of the earth. You were the light of the world. Let your light shine before men, right? Or 1 Peter 2, 12. Right? Let, let your deeds among the pagans be so excellent that they would see your good works and glorify God on the day he visits us. There ought to be a distinctness, a sharpness, a sweetness to the way that we work that, that sets us apart, sometimes gets us mocked, sometimes it gets us laughed at because we're careful, we're cautious, we're maybe more... more more driven to, to not offend someone. We're more driven to not join into coarse joking or gestures. And so we're unpopular because of that. But it's so that they might see and then glorify God on the day he visits us. We're the fragrance of Christ to those who don't know him. Now in conclusion, a display of Christ's glory um, is a display of the cross, brothers and sisters. Um, when we considered earlier you know, forgiveness and repentance, it, it's not just because it's nice, because, it, because forgiveness makes things work in a community. Uh, the for, forgiveness is found because it says, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive one another. We teach and admonish one another, and we don't teach and admonish one another, but we do it by the Spirit of God who is given because of the finished work of Christ, who Jesus Christ himself sent and finally, when we consider the, the, the preeminence of Christ, the, fir, the putting Christ first in all things, 
And we, we, again, I think Paul goes back to that hymn at the beginning. And the apex, the, 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 the primary point of that hymn, you know, it, it says all these great things. You know, everything exists because of Jesus. Everything exists for Jesus' sake. And you kinda, it, it kind of builds to this crescendo, and you wonder, what's going to be at the top of this thing? It's like you're going up a mountain, and you're just like, what's going to be at the top of the mountain? The pinnacle of God's glory, what is it going to be? Like, what's he going to blow up, or what's he going to make? Like, you're just like, you see supernovas and galaxies created. What is, what is the thing that most displays his glory? Was it Mount Hood? Was it when St. Helens blew up? What, what is the primary, the biggest, most glorious display of Christ's authority and Christ's lordship? And the song ends with, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. At the top of God's glory, at the, at the pinnacle, the absolute apex of God's beauty and glory is a bloody Roman cross. And it's because It's where the fullest vision of God's love and mercy were seen. And it's what we're going to sing about forever. When you go to Revelation, you read, and you hear the songs that are sung by the people of God. It's the songs of praise to the lamb who is slain. Praise to the lamb who is slain. Let him receive dominion and glory and honor and praise and authority now and forever. Amen. A display of Christ's glory is a display of the cross. It's the challenging way of life for us to live, right? Because it is hard to forgive, and it is hard to remind ourselves that, <laughs> that our, the foundation of who we are was a bloody drum across, was God himself having to come and die to purchase a people. But it is the fullest display of God's love. It is the fullest display of his beauty and of his glory. And so we celebrate it. We celebrate in song. We celebrate it in our lives. We celebrate it by repenting turning from our foolish ways, our foolish activities, and, and forgiving, even forgiving those who don't repent. We, we celebrate it by teaching one another. We celebrate it by, by loving one another in, in, in teaching and admonition, speaking, uh, speaking the truth in love. We celebrate it by just simply being present with one another, and we celebrate it by living this life together and challenging each other and asking each other for input how to live all of our lives under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We are a display of Christ's glory at the Gathering Church in Lens. It's wonderful and it's a beautiful reality. Um, you know, pray that the Lord would help us to embrace that together. Father, we thank you for um, your word. We thank you so much for being a comfort to us, being the one who surrounds us and embraces us, that you first came to embrace us and to comfort us in order that we might be your people, that your great name might be known, that you might be loved. We thank you that your glory is our greatest good and your glory is our delight. We pray, Father, that we would grow as a community in patience and wisdom and deep humility of heart. God, that you would make of us a people that display Jesus Christ in all of our activities. And Lord, make us a community that's patient with our shortcomings. Let us forbear with one another. Let us forgive one another. And as we gather, Lord, let us not undermine your spirit's work in teaching and admonishing all of us as we sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to you. Let us continue to do this as we continue our service. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.